Welcome to the Rock of Bay County, Florida, where our vision is to be a multi-generational gathering, moving as one body to bring the glory of Yahweh to this beautiful county and to all the earth. We hope you are encouraged and blessed as you listen to this message. One of our biggest issues is that we fail to see that we're not singing about just words in the Bible, but we're singing about prophecies of today. Blind eyes will open. Deaf ears will hear. Hospitals be emptied. Like, that, that, that becomes this cliche whatever idea. And I'm telling you what, this is the evidence of the Spirit within us. And this is what we were called to do. I want us to be moved deeply by these words. Let's, let's not lead with this idea of like, understand, I, I, I'm, I'm here to provoke a little bit. I am going to provoke a little bit. Okay, let's not lead with this. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Blind eyes will open. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Get up off your seat and rejoice of what Yahweh is doing in this house and this people. Be passionate. Be boiling hot. God. And I love you. Mike, you missed it last week. Yahweh spoke to me about this painting. Michael Monica gave me this painting, and I, I, I say this jokingly, but at, the, at first glance, it's an aggressive Jesus painting. It's very in-your-face Jesus. <laughs> but he, he showed this to me. He told me about it, and he said, I, I feel led to give this to you. This was months ago. He felt led to give this to me. It's something that's always moved him, and I thought it was, it was beautiful. And, it, and more than anything, it moved Mike LaMonica, and Mike LaMonica moves me. I want him to come speak to us one day soon because he has a spirit of an evangelist of, of not, not, not past days of just the tenderness and the love of Yeshua that's really going to lead men to change the way that they think and I love that man but he, he gives this to me so, so the other day I walked into my office this was last Sunday and you know that the word for me lately has been refraction never saw it this way what's this, what's this called? it's called coat of many colors just say in favor. Anyways, so he gives me this, this to me, and it behind it, all of a sudden I walk in and I see it's always like right when you walk into my office, it's sitting there. And uh, everybody always comments on it and says something about it. There's Jesus, you know, or whatever they say. And, uh, but I walked in and it just, it stunned me. And Yahweh said, that's refraction. That's what my son did on this planet. If you notice, there's this white, beautiful light hitting him from behind, right there, coming right from behind his head. There's this beautiful light. And if you can see his colors, I don't know if the, the light's shining on it too much, but in, in his coat of many colors, he's refracting different colors within his coat. 
And in that coat has countries, nations, and it's, it's, it's in Isaiah 60 prophecies that nations arise and shine for your light has come and nations will be attracted to your radiant light. This was Yeshua, this was the Son of God. This was a man who walked on this planet knowing that the light that was streaming from him, he was meant to, to, to express multicolored. Refraction is a process of white light. All these lights in here seem white, but as you can see, we change them different colors. But when it hits a clear object, a prism, what happens is it bends light. It bends the light, and in this white light is actually multiple colors. Multiple colors. And I believe that this is really how uh, that Isaiah 60 prophecy is starting to take place in us, that he's, he's hitting us with the glory of his presence and that we're carrying a multicolored, beautiful expression that slows down these things that people might not be able to understand articulating the kingdom through how we live our lives, that we should see ourselves as refractors or as prisms of his glorious light. If that's too prophetic for you, then just sit in it for a little bit. It'll mean something to you eventually. But there's a difference between saying that we are prisms, that we're the radiant ones, that we reflect his glorious light, and then actually being prisms and refracting his glory and walking in his glorious light. There's a difference between a scripture that says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by Yahweh and there's a difference between that righteous man taking those steps. You get it? So he, he orders your steps. But the kingdom's about choices. And it's up to us if we're going to walk in that path. And so I feel this, this is one of those things that in, in a, lot of, a lot of churches I don't think is, is extremely accepted here, it's, it's, it's welcomed, is that there's a responsibility to walk on this planet as a son of God. There's a, there's a weight on our shoulders that says when we get up in the mornings, when we approach situations to think of things, to, to see things from a different realm than the one currently right in front of us. And oftentimes we're so quick to react. We're so, this, this day and age is all about conformity. And I'm talking about on the right side and the left side. It's all about conforming to the way that this culture does life. The goods and the bads. And it's all about if you, if you run with us, this is how you should act. Here's your list of do's and don'ts. And if you run with us on this side, this is your list of do's and don'ts. And it separates people who are designed to walk in unity together. Yeshua's last, in John 17, his last prayer was about us experiencing unity as a body of Christ, that we experience the same unity that he and his father experienced before we even came here. And that's counter to the culture around us right now. So let's read Isaiah 35. We just heard it sung, now we're going to read it. Isaiah 35 in the Passion Translation says this, The wilderness and dry land will be joyously glad. The desert will blossom like a rose and rejoice. Every dry and barren place will burst forth with abundant blossoms, dancing and spinning in delight. The wilderness and dry land will be joyously glad. 
The desert will blossom like a rose and rejoice. Every dry and barren place will burst forth with abundant blossoms, dancing and spinning with delight. Lebanon's lush splendor covers it, the magnificent beauty of Carmel and Sharon. My people will see the awesome glory of Yahweh, the beautiful grandeur of God. Part one. Part one starts with a promise. I think one of the biggest things that we do is get ourselves in trouble because we have no promise, we have no word, we have nothing except it seems right. This seems good. This, is, this seems culturally right. I'm going to do this. This is moral. I'm going to do this. this is, it's good that I be in the ministry. I'm going to be in the ministry. It's... Uh, it's good that I give this man some money, I'm going to give it to him. It's, it's good that I do this, I'm going to do this. But we're called to do it different. And it's about being led by the impulses of Holy Spirit. And it's being led by the promise. Your word, your promise is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Get into situations where it was a good idea and I'm in here and confused. It's because there was never the promise. If you want to know what what you're supposed to do, I said this last time, but I'm going to say it again. Sit down. Relax. Stop. Just stop. A year or two ago, I spoke a word in, in, under the pole barn that was called the power of the pause. How difficult it is to not just be reactionary and everything. And this, I'm telling you, the culture today is react. Take a stand. Do this if you want to stand with us. Do that if you want to stand with them. And then draw a line in the sand and that's it. And he's saying, sit and wait. Wait. Stop. Don't respond to the ways of this world. Stop and sit and understand what I can fill you with a heavenly perspective that is so otherworldly that there is no comparison and you're not even in the same fight. So uh, initially look for in the seated place of just rest a promise. What is he speaking over your family? Benjamin and Kristen, what, what's he speaking over your marriage? What's this going to look like? He's, he's given you a promise. Sometimes it's just bringing that into reality. What, what's, the, what's the word over your son? What's, what's that going to look like? Give me, a, give me the promise. What, why? Why? Because I want to aim every bit of my being, everything I need to look at, I need to be able to look at that promise and walk in that way. So everything that I do is in response to the promise and not the circumstance, right? Because trials will come because of the word. Things come against that. But if I can sit here and say that I'm founded in the truth, that he gave me this promise in the very beginning, I don't have anything to worry about. It's why I can stand here today and when a hurricane hits, I'm not really, I'm moved in the natural, but by the spirit, I know like this is, this is the promise. There's a promise. There was a word. I didn't just jump into this thing. I was pushed into this thing by him. So I don't have a question in how this is going to play out. Ultimately, it's going to play out fine. Same thing with my marriage. My marriage. In marriage, there's things that come up, but ultimately, speaking of my beautiful wife, she is not feeling great this morning, so we speak healing and wholeness over her, and uh, I love her to death, and she's amazing, and uh, I, just, I just declare that complete healing over her. Uh, but 
but with, with marriage, with relationships, with things, there's going to be these things that trials that come to try to come against it, but it's not there to be a test. It's there to be an opportunity to show the strength and the power within that word you were given. I was led to be joined to you. So this might look a little rocky, but ultimately this is the promise. And I know what it's going to look like at the end of the, at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. So it starts off with the promise. It, it, his plan surely will come to pass. I want to be the vessel as on earth as it is in heaven. So the wilderness and dry land become joyously glad. The desert will blossom like a rose and rejoice. Every dry and barren place will burst forth with abundant blossoms, dancing and spinning with delight. Lebanon's lush splendor covers it, the magnificent magnificent beauty of Carmel and Sharon, my people will see the awesome glory of Yahweh, the beautiful grandeur of God. I love, my people will. (laughs) I love the assurance, the assurance of prophecies of the Bible. It's not maybe, (laughs) possibly his glory will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. There's a, there's, a, there's a pretty good chance that that's true. No, his word surely will come to pass. So my people will see the awesome glory of Yahweh. So then part two says this, strengthen those who are discouraged. Energize those who feel defeated. Say to the anxious and fearful, be strong and never afraid. Look, here comes your God. Let me tell you an obvious that sometimes doesn't seem so obvious. You cannot make the unseen realm of heaven seen by people by showing them something they've already seen. Meaning, you being so committed to ideals of this world in opinions of this world, me being conditioned to think that way and try to bring that to people is not going to cause them to go, oh, that's heaven. We're diehard about our opinions. We're right. We are right. This is right. There's no question that this is right. And you are wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. And I simply believe that you've clogged the vessel, the vein that the beauty of heaven is supposed to stream through with opinions and things that don't help anything. Not change anything yet. We're called to be something so otherworldly, so different. So he says, First, here's the promise. Secondly, this is how you respond to this promise. Strengthen those who are discouraged, not by your opinion and not with agreeing with their opinion. Energize those who feel defeated, not by saying, you know, I know it's bad. I know, I get it, I get it. And you, you're right, you're right. But there, there is hope, you know, it's not gonna last forever, whatever, uh, you know, and give them some natural remedy. 
Energize those who feel defeated. Say to the anxious and fearful, be strong and never afraid. Why? Because some magical political sweep is going to turn things in the favor of your opinion or because Yahweh Almighty God, your God, has the whole world in his hands. He is breaking through to give you victory. He comes to avenge your enemies with divine retribution. He comes to save you. And if you can step into that reality and walk out the steps that are ordered for you and carry the responsibility of refracting heaven, if you can look at the word and the promise that he's given you and walk in direct line with that word, let that be the light, let that be the focus, then guess what? Then the most powerful word, one word in this entire chapter, then. I said this last week, but Yahweh is transactional. He's a transactional God, which seems weird on surface, but it's actually very, very true. If you meditate on me day and night, you will be like a tree planted. If you do not, uh, if you do not sit here and, 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 and listen to the ways of the world, then I'll make you like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. If anybody comes to me, I will give you rest. If you make the choice to be anxious for nothing, the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind. If then, if then so his love's not transactional in the sense of he loves us he is love you are uh you are a son you are a daughter there's nothing you're gonna do to get outside of that love that's not this if you will do this then i will love you we love him because he first loved us there is there's nothing that you're gonna do to escape the love and that's one of the things we mix up that should be the foundational truth in our hearts before we step any any direction at all is that i am deeply compassionately loved by a a father, a creator. And there's nothing that I've done, there's nothing I'm gonna do, there's nothing I did, there's nothing that's gonna take me out of that love. However, what is that love gonna propel you into? Is that enough or do we respond from that love as a son and a representative of heaven? So then the lame, then the blind eyes will open and deaf ears will hear then the lame will leap like playful deer and a tongue tied and the tongue tied will sing songs of triumph gushing water will spring up in the wilderness and streams will flow through the desert your bible might say streams like streams in the desert kind of the same thing it says something along those lines but it talks about a stream in a desert and that can be poetic language unless you really think about what that would be a desert complete dry barren wasteland nothingness and all of a sudden a stream you remember those cartoons when you were a kid that it's like they're walking through the desert and they see some beautiful island and there's, you know, a mariachi band up there playing and it's just like, they're like, it's too good to be true. 
It's so countercultural. It's so opposite of what I'm experiencing today that it seems too good to be true. And genuinely, I believe that is how we are supposed to be in the culture. Immediately, ourselves get in the way. The thoughts of ourselves. We are this. We are streams in the desert. We are complete opposites of what you currently see. That's what we're supposed to be. You got that? Listen, you are a stream in a desert. Streams will flow through the desert. The burning sand will become a refreshing oasis. There's my tiger. The burning sand will become a refreshing oasis. The parched ground bubbling springs and the dragons layer a meadow with grass, reeds, and papyrus. There will be a highway of holiness called the sacred way. The impure will not be permitted on this road, but it will be accessible to God's people. And not even fools will lose their way. The lion will not be found there. No wild beast will travel on it. They will not be found there. But the redeemed will find a pathway on it. Yahweh's ransom ones will return with glee to Zion. Isaiah is, is, I I love it. Uh, Apostle Damon says, "If if it's not too good to be true, it's not true enough. What an what amazing, powerful statement. If it's not too good to be true, it's not true enough. You should read this Bible. You should re- look at words. Your words should not be possible. If your dreams are possible, they're not dreams. They're good ideas. If your opinion is like someone else's, then it's not from heaven. It's a good idea. That's not a stream in the desert. That's like, you know, I love how in in the political world, how uh, typically it's the right wing people that like to call the other, the left side, which is just a bunch of children. The right side calls the left side sheep because they're not woke enough. Oh, y'all just do what everybody else does. That is equivalent to the pot calling the kettle black. That's like in the desert, a, a dry plant calling a rock dry. Like, but I'm at least a plant, so I've got roots, I've got leaves. You're still dry, and you're still in a fight that has nothing to do with anything until a stream who comes from a completely different set of sources comes in, and both of you look like idiots. This is, this is the call of my life, I'm telling you right now, is to wake us up, is to wake a generation up, to wake myself up to an unseen world that's so different and so otherworldly than what we see right in front of us that it actually causes the landscape around us to change, that people just walk by you and say, that has caused me to remember something. <laughs> the unseen world. So Yahweh's ransom ones will return with glee to Zion. 
They will enter with a song of rejoicing, so they enter with joy in their crown with everlasting joy. I'm happy right now. Not happy enough. He, he, Yeshua makes no bones about it. He's got an agenda that you experience everlasting, incredible life and life more abundantly. That's, that's what he wants. So your, your things are going well right now. They're not going well enough. You've got a great relationship with your wife. It's not, it's, there's more. There's always more. You got a great relationship with friends and family. There's always more. There's greater, don't, don't settle for for just the, the, the ruts in the road and say, I've got a good life, I've got a good marriage, things are good, I'm good. No, that's not life and life more abundantly. If Yeshua's within you, he's constantly pushing you into realms and heights that are way too good to be true, that are so undeserving. There was nothing you did to get on this path. It's called favor. And favor is the proof that you've been in his presence. It's the favor, the definition of favor. I've given it this definition, but it's the right definition. I'm right, you're wrong, remember? It's <laughs> favor is the tangible expression of his presence. Favor is the tangible expression of his presence. It is, it is impossible for you to sit in his presence, to sit down and relax and to talk and feed on his faithfulness, say thank you, and come out of that situation without more favor on you. you. You go in with joy, you receive more joy. I believe that our call is to be, the, the words that I keep hearing this week, and I keep saying is, is counterculture. And this means a way of life and a set of attitudes opposed to or at variance with the prevailing social norm. The kingdom is a counterculture. The kingdom of God is completely counter to the culture. The set of rules, we need to go back and look at some of these things because, see, in the culture of the kingdom, when you wait, your strength is renewed. In this culture, if you, if you wait, you get weary. You see that this is how the Bible works. If, if you wait, if you pause, if you stop, and you understand what that means, which is not to just sit there and do nothing, but it means to whirl in the dance, to bind together and to stand on tiptoe. This is why the earth is waiting for the sons of Yahweh to be revealed. It's not sitting there going, will this happen? It's excited, whirling in the dance, standing on tiptoe in expectation of what's about to take place of the revealing of the sons. But when we wait, our strength is renewed. When we wait on him to fill us up with his perspective and his vision for this day, our strength starts to be renewed because we see a different perspective than what the world's shoving down our throats. Right? How do we get exalted? Humble thyself. Kneel. How do we receive? We give. It's counter the culture and Yeshua himself was so otherworldly, so countercultural from the time that he came to this planet 
conception, what that looked like, he was already this counterculture of what's going on. And he always walked in this kind of setting of knowing who he was as the son of God and the responsibility that he carried. He was so different from the the fact that he had women walking with him in that day. The Bible even says that they financed his ministry. I bet that made the Pharisees do a little freak out session. He called himself the son of God in such a religious political setting. He walked around out of no fear. This is who I am. I believe he was so countercultural that when it came to things of this world, when someone came and the diagnosis was wrong, uh, the, the financial situation was wrong, the sinners came and they shouldn't be uh, redeemed, there shouldn't be mercy shown, that the counterculture within him became expressed in the culture, that blind eyes started to open up, that deaf ears started to hear. And we, can, we cannot lower that standard. He said that greater works will we do. Just because it hasn't worked out for you yet does not mean that you don't stand and declare that this is how it's supposed to be, that we are designed to walk in a counterculture. And if we're filling ourselves up with the culture, don't expect to be counterculture. Does that make sense? Don't, don't expect to be other than. I'm just hitting a couple of these scriptures that we read last week and then we're gonna uh, wrap up with the, I think, hallmark chapter for the counterculture for the church. What could it be? First Peter 2. If you let it, this can mess you up. First Peter 2 says, but you are God's chosen treasure. When I say messed up, that means good. It's a good thing. No. People are like, what? <laughs> Close your ears. No, this will, this can mess you up internally to make you think so much differently about yourself. But you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience marvelous light. The word is peripoesis. It means one belonging exclusively to another. The word's peculiar in your Bible probably. And it it doesn't mean just to be weird, which we love to do. We love it to just mean weird because it just gives us a qualifier to be weird. It's not about that. It's actually meaning one exclusively belonging to another. Not the culture. You see, he, he did nothing he didn't first see his father do. Meaning that he wasn't worried about what mold you wanted to put him in. Not, not, didn't want to walk in the fear that you wanted to put him in. Didn't want to walk in the trials and the tribulations of that day were not the things that moved him. The only thing that moved him was I did nothing that I didn't first see my father do. Apart from him, I can do nothing. He was one exclusively belonging to another. So here we go. But you are God's chosen treasure. (laughs) 
chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light, and now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. I read, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. Broadcast the glorious opinions of your political party to the world. Right? Is that what your Bible says? You would think that some people read it that way. Broadcast your good ideas to the world. Broadcast your moral culture to the world. No, it says to broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. You should be wondrous. (laughs) <laughs> your life should be so I, my, my son came to me Frank the other day we were, uh, I picked him up from school and he told me that one of his friends had told him that her mom doesn't believe in Yahweh and that she's, I can't remember the word she used but it was something along the lines of that's just a bunch of hoopla and I wanted to be like well she's an idiot but I didn't I didn't I said son look around you you see that plan over there? You see daddy? You see baby Mila? And when she came into this world, you see uh, the, the sky? You see all of these things around you. How does she think they got here? And see, to someone who's been conditioned to be like, well, but there's, there's scientific, we can, uh, we can go through all these things, who's been conditioned to think that way, but to a child, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you're right, dad. They're an idiot. <laughs> No, but to a child, he goes, yeah, that, that makes sense. It's impossible that there's not a creator. It's impossible that that's not true. It's so obvious to them. It makes so much sense to them. But ultimately, I said, son, you, you being as happy as you are, as smart as you are, as fast as you are, as cool as you are, as awesome as you are, is the only thing that you need to say. It's the only thing you need to do. The most prolific, powerful athletes and people that are successful never need to tell you how successful or how prolific or, you know, whatever they are. A lot of them might try to, but they don't need to let, my my dad always said, let your skills do the talking. In sports, just, you don't need to go, you don't need to go run your mouth, just, just show them. Just show them, show them what's within you. That's it. That's all you got to do. And so, uh, so my son is, is, is a broadcaster from his joy and his glory and a testimony of light to the culture. He doesn't need to try to teach them religion. He doesn't need to try to teach them, but you will see, right? You will see by the way that people live their life, what's within them and what's taking place. It will broadcast out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You don't need to try to figure out how to change the culture. Be countercultural and watch the culture change around you. You will be like a stream in the desert. For at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. I like to pause on, on parts that we try to jump over. 
For at one time, you were not God's people. Please finish the rest, finish the rest, finish the rest. But now you are. At one time, there was separation. But Yeshua came and made it possible that we can live in complete adoption and reunion with the Father. That there be no separation. You see, well, that's basic. We know that stuff. But see, I think as we, the word over this house is reformation, we need to go back to the beginning, which is what reformation means. Go back to the very start of your trajectory. Make sure that it's right and aimed at the right thing. So if that's the call of this house, I'm going back. I find myself studying the life of Yeshua. I find myself talking about the fruits of the Spirit, which they're probably talking about over there. We just need Miss Renee to come over here and teach us the fruits of the Spirit, which indicates that there's a seed that needs to be stewarded that becomes a fruit. If you need to know if you've watered the garden, if you need to know if you have, uh, have the Spirit thing right, go look at the fruits of the Spirit and say, is that me? Huh? No. That one? Tuesdays and Thursdays? Uh, that one? No. Yeah, I got that one. The fruits of the spirit within you. I find myself going back to these simplistic concepts and being thankful for them. Letting it shape my life again. So now we experience perfect union with him. It's available. We have to choose it. But the Bible says that we have not been given the spirit of slavery that leads to fear, but we've actually been given the spirit of adoption that is the reason we cry, Papa God, that we, requ- that we cry, Abba. So it says, for at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time you knew nothing of God's mercy, but you hadn't received it yet, but now you are drenched with it. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Because, see, mercy isn't just forgiveness. Mercy isn't just like you shouldn't be here and you are. Mercy is not just those things. Actually, the Hebraic word is derived from the term womb. Every time you see Yahweh show mercy or Yeshua show mercy in Scripture, it's because there's a maternal connection to you. You always hear it said, if mama ever gives up on you, you got a problem. <laughs> Dad, he might kick you to the curb. He might be like, I can't deal with this anymore. But if mama ever gives up on you, you got a problem. Like time to change quick and get back in that grace. Because nobody can pray for you like a mama can pray for you. And any of you that have had children, you just watch the connection of a mother when the baby's in the womb. The way that they sit back and they feel the flutters. You know, it's weird because like as a a father, it's hard to feel that connection with the baby. It's more of a knowledge-based thing. You love them and you, you care for them and you pray for them and you do these things, but the mother feels the baby already. 
There's a, there's a connection already like, like because it's being created within the womb. And I believe that this is what mercy is. This is how he sees mercy. I give mercy because I don't have another choice. I, I, you have mercy. I, I love you to a degree because I created you in the womb. I, I, I love you so much that mercy is displayed. And so at one time we did not know the mercy, but because, because we hadn't received it yet, but now you are drenched with it. It's powerful. All right, I'm gonna wrap it up. I know we're reading a lot of Bible today, but that should be the norm. Y'all doing all right? All right, the hallmark chapter of counterculture. Y'all have a great day. I'll see y'all next week. Just kidding. You should already know this. It's Romans 12. Romans 12, 2 is probably the hallmark scripture in our minds to the counterculture, the way we're to live our lives. But this is really Paul's, if you read all of chapter 12, I've, I just felt pushed to go back and read all of chapter 12. We always say 12, 2, which is this, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. That is the bomb.com, right? But jump back to verse one and listen to this. Beloved friends, this is Paul's admonition to the church what he sees how he sees the church should be a counterculture how we should live our lives he said beloved friends what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies we aren't just here okay we are not just people just on this planet just to be happy just we are not just anything We are God's marvelous light to the culture. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? Remember this morning I talked about Thanksgiving. We should have that coming out of us. We should live in response to the glory and the mercy and the love that he's shown us on a daily basis from the beginning of time. To surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices. Anytime we talk about sacrifice, that is tough because we think about laying down what we want for what he wants. But when those things marry, when you're so infused with the presence of Yahweh that the favor of God looks like the will of God on your life, there's something incredible that kind of looks like this. And live in holiness, exclusive, peculiar, experiencing all the delights, his, all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. So, when you read that verse one, this is how you should read verse two. Stop imitating the ideals of the culture around you. Are you serious? Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's, Yahweh, Abba, Father's marvelous mercies in our life? 
Verse 2, stop imitating the ideals and the uh, opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. I'm going to read through this. If you need to go, go. That's fine. I just, uh, I'm, I'm going to try not to spend too much time. I just feel led to read through this chapter at least and try my best not to speak on every verse. But if I do, I do. What's God's will? Empower you to discern God's will. What's God's will? We have got to have that always before us. Honor as it is in heaven. What is God's will? On earth as it is in heaven. Verse 3 says, God has given me grace to speak, a warning about pride. To me, pride is settling for anything less than authenticity. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. Instead, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as a standard of measurement. Who you are should require faith. You see that differently? It's not about you being lofty and thinking of yourself so highly. It's actually more of you thinking of yourself too low. What he calls you to should require faith. Your God-given faith as the standard of measurement. And then you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. In the human body, there are many parts and organs, each with unique function, each with a unique function. This is like the tribe. The tribe is different than a church because the tribe says that every single person has a role within this body. It's not just about the spirit-filled, has it all figured out, pastor, (laughs) which I, (laughs) just kidding. No, I, I said this last week, but if you have a, a, a pastor who has it all figured out and is never wrong and can't ever do anything wrong and is just so connected with the Father that they never experience lows, it's just all highs, and you don't have a pastor, you have an actor. But if you have a man who will sit there and say, I'm currently walking through these things, I'm watching him lead me through this valley, follow me. It's ridiculous what's taking place. And that's when you have a true pastor, a true leader. And that's what I dedicate my heart to be is real about this thing. So a tribe has, everybody has a function. In order for this tribe to work, you have to be responsible and not just come in here like it's time to receive. Like, let me hold my arm out and you go ahead and pump me up with a little spirit so I can make it through the week. No, no, no. No, you need to come in here full of his presence and let this place explode in his glorious, glorious, glorious mercies and wonders and let that lift me up. Let that lift Jeffrey and Jess up when they're playing up here. Let that lift the worship team. Like the leaders need you to be seated in your role. And if you have a gift, express that gift. Doesn't have to be on the platform. Oop, preaching again. Five says, and so in, it is in the body of Christ for, for though we are many, we've all uh, been mingled into one body in Christ. This means that we are all, listen to this word, vitally joined to one another. This means that we are all vitally joined to one another. 
with each contributing to the others. God's marvelous grace imparts to each of us varying gifts. So if God has given you the, gift, the grace gift of prophecy, activate your gift by using the proportion of faith you have to prophesy. Faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. That means grace. Faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. He'll call you to it, but he'll also perform it for you if you'll lean into him. So if your grace gift is serving, then thrive in serving others well. If you have the grace gift of teaching, then be actively teaching and training others. If you have the grace gift of encouragement, which is my favorite one that I wish I had more of, but I love it when someone who has a grace gift of encouragement steps in, then use it often to encourage others. If you have the grace gift of giving to meet the needs of others, then, then may you prosper in your generosity without fa- any fanfare. If you have the gift of leadership, be passionate about your leadership. And if you have the gift of showing compassion, then flourish in your cheerful display of compassion. Let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another and never play the role of Hippocrates, of an actor wearing a mask. Don't be a hypocrite. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisee. The leaven of the Pharisee was Hippocrates. Don't wear the mask. Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor for one another. I, I, want, I want the culture in this house to be so countercultural to the world that when people come in here, it's like walking into an oasis. Like that we have such good intentions for each other, that we care so deeply for one another, that we care so deeply for this city that it's just like a stream in the desert. Be enthusiastic. This is what I was just talking about. Let there be an expression of passion in this house. I love these two men up here because there's no lack of expression. It's not conjured up. It's not fake. It's just what they feel. And they just don't have this filter that tells them like, easy there, Champ, people can see you. I don't care. (laughs) It's amazing. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward Him boiling hot. You keep your passion toward Him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. Let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in a time of trouble. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't give up. His word will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Don't give up. These trials come to show your strength, not to knock you off your rocker. Let this hope, joy-filled expectation for good burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in a a time of trouble. What's the counterculture to giving up in the time of trouble? The counterculture is, but commune with God at all times. Thessalonians says, pray continually. That means commune with God. 
means communicate with God. Take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them. And respond, respond by helping them. And eagerly welcome people as guests into your home. This means here and this means in your home. This means here and this means in your home. I have the tendency to, to kind of lock up with people I don't just know really well. I'm asking for that thing to open up. I want to be more open. I want to be more welcoming. I want to uh, I I be in more of a relationship with people than I am today. And there's some people that do that well. But especially in this house, we should be welcoming people in this house. You know, someone going through something, I'm telling you that there is, I, one of the prevailing things I hear from people that come and visit or just stop by or, or don't know anything about the kingdom that have walked in this room is this. Yahweh is in that place. I don't know exactly what's going on. I can just tell you that the Lord is there. Am I right, Basha? Basha says that all the time. She told a friend recently she's, that was looking for a church where she said, listen, I don't know what to tell you. I can't explain everything. All I can tell you is that the Lord is in that place. Welcome people as guests into your home. 14 says, speak blessing and not cursing over those who reject and persecute you. Now that, that's one thing, but also speak blessing and not cursing over those around you. I've been talking to uh, m- people in my inner circle lately about like we like to joke with each other and it's just kind of the way guys do it is we're like, you know, run each other down, but it's like, but we love you, you know. And I talked about like w- if our words have the power of death in life, being a steward over those words. Maybe you're not hurting somebody, but are you elevating someone? Are you, are you utilizing your words of life to be life? Do you really believe that you are God's chosen treasure? And if that's the case, be mindful of what escapes your lips and the power and authority by which you have within you. Reformation, go back to the simple. Fix those things to aim correctly at the target. Celebrate with those who celebrate and weep with those who grieve. That's called intercession. Live happily together in a spirit of harmony and be as mindful of another's worth as you are of your own. Jeez, Louise. As mindful of another's worth as you, as you are your own. Don't live with a lofty mindset thinking you are too important to serve others, but be willing to do menial tasks and identify with those who are humble-minded. Don't be smug or even think for a minute that you know it all. This thing's ever-increasing. We've not seen every facet of Yahweh. We know Him, but not completely. Don't be smug or even think for a moment that you know it all. 17 says, never hold a grudge or try to get even, but plan your life around the noblest ways to benefit others. Do your best to live as everybody's friend. That one's a tough one. 19 says, beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge. But this is the word for 
the United States of America. Beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge, but leave that to God's righteous justice. For the scriptures say, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. 20, and if your enemy is hungry, buy him lunch. I love how the Passion Translation just throws it down like that. Go to Slim Chickens and get him a six-piece. Win him over with kindness. For your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience and, get, and God will reward you with what? Favor. This is countercultural <laughs> to live your life for surprising your, for your surprising generosity, surprising like a stream in a desert, will awaken the unseen consciousness and God will reward you with favor. Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. Stand with me. Let the simplicity of the kingdom overwhelm you and take you to deep places. I oftentimes think we're looking way too far out. Looking for that home run word. And when we go back to some of the simplistic scriptures, and when we go back and just look at Yeshua's life, Yeshua's life is not simple. We're called to be the apostolic. And I'm not talking about what you think when you say apostolic. Not Apostle Ball. Apostle Ball was a pioneer and he was an amazing man, did what he did well. I'm talking about the apostle, the way that Yeshua referred to his disciples, which was you're here to create a culture that is counterculture to the culture around you. The, the apostles were the, it was an, an armada coming to a defeated land that carried with them people that had different, that had the uh, architecture, the recipes, the language, the dialect, the culture of the community they were, le- they were leaving. They would lead first, go in there and inhabit the land and make sure that the people there became like them so that when the king or emperor visited, he felt like he was at home. That's called on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what he was telling his disciples. You are apostles. And that's what we're all called to be, an apostolic culture, an apostolic apostolic culture that genuinely brings with them the essence, the flavor, the architecture, the beauty of heaven to this earth that needs it so desperately bad. Amen. Amen. Yahweh, I bless this people. I ask that you just let this word sink into their hearts and let it take them deeper and deeper into who they're called to be. Allow us to refract your beautiful, glorious light in everything that we do. I just ask that your favor, God with us, Emmanuel, just is carried throughout our week, that we start to burn boiling hot for you and your presence, that our, our desires start to come into alignment with your desires and that we are proof in our favor that we have been seated in his presence. I ask that you bless, prosper, and give favor and perfect health over this people. I declare this in the nature and the name of Yeshua Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Bless you. 
Thank you for listening. For more information on The Rock of Bay County, please go to therockofbc.org.